Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series, Stealing Our Democracy, is a new book that's just come out. My guest is Don Siegelman. He's been recently featured in the Wall Street Journal, and Ralph Nader has named his book one of the top ten books of the summer. Don and I are coming at you right now. We're in some interesting times right now with people in the street uh, marching for the criminal justice system to change, and and uh, the movement is multicultural and all over the world. What are your opinions of what's going on socially? Well, I think, frankly, uh, people have just had enough. Um, you know, it it is. You know, it's not like police murders of black men just happened with George Floyd or Eric Gardner or Breonna Taylor or Tamar Rice or, you know, I mean, it's been going on for a long time. We just now have emerged technologically to be able to capture those on cell phones and, and body cams um, and or news media filming protests when People are kicked around and shoved around and called names and uh, by police, and so this this abuse of power is nothing new. In fact, you know, if you want to go back 400 years when the country was founded, the first thing we did was start a war of genocide on Native Americans, and then we decided we wanted to capture African Americans uh, and make them slaves. So. You know, and then the reign of terror, the lynchings, the all we've seen with with the with you know violence and shenanigans over the years to deprive uh, African Americans, and and now it's become depriving uh, you know Democratic nominees of an equal chance at uh, the ballot box. We've got lots of issues that have surfaced in the last few weeks that are arising. And people are sick of it. They're, they know that their democracy is being stolen, and they are sick of it. They want they want things to change. And you know, if um, you know, we, George Floyd paid the ultimate price, as has many before him. Uh, but it is it is now up to us to change policies politics, and law to ensure justice and to, as my, as my book points out, to, uh, to ensure that, that particularly those who are most vulnerable are protected from abuses of power by police and prosecutors and presidents. You know, I want to say just here at the outset about my book and what it's about. It's yes, it's a it's a searing memoir. It's it's been described as an intensely personal account of my life. But it's not about me. Yes, it is about how I became who I am, how I, how I my, how I derived my values, and how I got elected, and and why and by whom I was targeted to get out of office. But it's not about me. It's about saving our democracy, and we we have just got to take some basic steps that in that in that one protect innocent people from abuse of power by police and also we've got to institute changes in our justice system 
to ensure that there is justice for the family members of those who are brutally and senselessly and ruthlessly murdered by police. And my book deals with that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is it is timely and um, it is a uh, it is something that I, I hope people will take the time to, to read. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Um, in in years past, if there was not video, um, they would have said that George Floyd went for my gun. Or the, the elderly gentleman, the 75-year-old activist up there in New York, punched down by police, and in the police report, they were going to say, oh, well, he tripped. And now he's being, uh, by a higher power, um, portrayed as some sort of leftist whatever. Um, we're getting, I know, um, alpha and Gen Z people who are in the streets in droves. They don't care whether we're in the middle of a pandemic. I was going to ask you, um, the elderly, uh, that gentleman was pushed down, and if that was not captured, they would have most likely blamed it on his age or that he was in a oh. leftist group. Yeah, because yeah, notice how the, the police walked by him. I mean, one looked like they wanted to stop the person behind, tapped him, and basically, you know, move forward. Uh I was really surprised and shocked, but not surprised and shocked, but it was right there captured in the video. I think the reason why the George Floyd thing um, really resonated was because not only was the cop's face in the camera, George's face was in the camera. You couldn't miss it. You couldn't miss what was going on, and your book is timely, and that it's coming out right as all this is happening. What do you see, do you think, you, in your book, and basically your, your background, We'll be able to lend a, a voice and, and make a difference for those people that I just mentioned. Well, you know, first of all, um, I think I can make a difference because uh, I am a Southern white former governor of one of the reddest states in the country, the state of Alabama. I lived. I lived through integration, the the cries by George Wallace for segregation forever. I was around when, uh, not literally or at the spot, but I was in Alabama when he raised the Confederate flag over the state capitol to to uh, snub Robert Kennedy. And five months later, the Ku Klux Klan, feeling emboldened, blew up the 16th Street Baptist Church, killing four innocent young girls. I. I have I have been around. I uh, worked for Charles Evers when he ran for governor of Mississippi in 1971. I was an anti-war activist. I'm a, a uh, Robert Kennedy Democrat in the in the South, and um, you know I I was able to be elected to Secretary of State I, even after opposing George Wallace in 1974 when he tried to take over the state Democratic Party. You know, I came back and was elected Secretary of State, Attorney General, Lieutenant Governor, and Governor. Um, right. Something. There's another part of my background that only a few people know, and 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 only those who read the book will will know. And that is, I, I was a um, 
I've, I've worked for a, a liberal congressman from New York. I helped him in his first election in 1968, and um, I had gone with him into Mississippi in the late 60s. But he um, he was elected to Congress. I worked in his office, and then when he was gerrymandered out in 1970, um we had started congressional hearings on what had happened at Kent State and Jackson State and Mississippi and uh, and the police violence and National Guard violence that resulted in the death of innocent students. Um, so I, while I was waiting on a job at the Justice Department, um, I took a job as a Capitol Hill policeman. And in in the old days, you know, we used to elect constables for every precinct, and they came from the local community. They had to be elected from their little little geographic areas. Um, and now we're making a turn toward back toward um, community policing. We're making a, a turn and I think a gigantic step after Mr. Floyd's murder um, across the country toward reshaping our police forces so that they have a different mentality. Now, to get to your, your point, there, to rid this country of, this, of systemic racism, racism that is built into, almost, almost built into some people's DNA, we have, to, we have to work to change their hearts and minds. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we've got to change the policing policies, we've got to change our politics, and we've got to change our laws. And what I mean by politics is, let me, you know, people changing their hearts and minds, they've either got to believe that God created us all equal or not. And if they don't, they've got to understand that the United States Constitution demands that they treat everybody equally, whether they like it or not. So we, but the problem devolves into who, who, who we elect, who we elect to public office, because it is the mayors and the governors and the presidents that make the appointments of police chiefs or of prison commissioners or of of United States Attorneys General or U.S. Attorneys or judges that, that decide the fate of, of, of the family of people like George Floyd. And we've got other problems within our criminal justice system that I talk about specifically and that it, I am trying desperately to get before well, maybe not so desperately, but I'm trying to get before the the Black Congressional Caucus uh, to talk to them about because I think this is where the you know where these where we can we will engender the kind of discussion that needs to happen to protect people like George Floyd from this kind of abuse of power in the future. So anyway, I've got a plan to to make some some changes in our justice system. My book is a uh, sealing our democracy is a call to action, and I hope that um, I'm able to gain some traction so that you know I can stand before the House or Senate Judiciary Committee and make my arguments about what needs to be done in our justice system uh, to ensure that family members of 
people who have been mercilessly abused or, or murdered at the hands of police um, have a chance for justice in, in our system. The climate right now, because of um, you know what the world has just seen, has moved a new generation of people out who don't know about George Wallace, who don't know about Emmett Till, who don't know, but they know right from wrong, and they are out there in force. Everyone was saying during the homegoing yesterday that they wanted to keep the movement moving. Well, with King, we did have a movement, and we've had several movements, but it's still the same old song. What do you believe is different about this movement? Because uh, they're not just marching for one or two days. This has been going on for over two weeks now. I, I, I frankly, I think it was the, the grotesqueness, uh, the the. Um, the, the in-your-face, I'm going to kill this man uh, attitude of of the cop and the desperation by George Floyd, you know, pleading for his life that was captured on video that that uh, touched the hearts of a lot of people and and frankly, uh, you know, it's touched the hearts of uh, a lot of Republicans. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to put politics into this. I'm just stating a fact that it's it's reaching a lot of conservative people who may have had a different, would have had a different view of this death had it not been for the video. So, no, I think I think, you know, when we started out talking about the importance of 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 these uh, cell phone cameras and the and the body cam videos uh, and the just the the things that that are captured by news media on the street are making a difference and and are fueling this cry for justice and you know the problem that I have and this is why I, I so <laughs> uh, I want so badly to have an opportunity to be heard and why I want my book to be a success so I can be heard so somebody will pay attention to me. Um, is because I I know how to fix some of this, um, you know, not because I went to prison for five years, and but because I I had the opportunity while in prison to 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 figure out what was going on, why all these men of color ended up in in jail, and why you know people were how they were you know these these draconian sentences were meted out and why and anyway so I. Yeah, I, I put it all in my book in a very succinct form. Uh, the book is less than 300 pages, and it's, um, you know, it's it's been described as a page turner. And oh, by the way, I made uh, Ralph Nader's uh, top 10 books to read this summer, so I was really pleased about that. That came out today. That's awesome. Thank you for letting us know about that. Yeah, That's well, great. I, just, I just thought about that, <laughs> but it was that was pretty cool. I thought. Yeah, I, I, we started this, or I started the conversation talking about the country 400 years ago, and uh, you know, when we after we finished with the, well, not when we finished with the genocide of Native Americans, but you know, during that 
during that process, um, African Americans or, or blacks who were here from Africa were, became slaves. Um, you know, the the mindset didn't change after the Civil War. Um, you know, the 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 the, the reconstruction. Uh, resulted in new constitutions being written in the South and new laws, Jim Crow laws, and you know, so that the African American, the slaves who, who were were freed, were then locked up again uh, on felonies without their Second Amendment rights. All of that, so they could never have a gun again, um, and they were then put into prison where they were turned back over to the slave owners to work for free. Um, and it's actually it's not much different than the private prisons that we have today, but that's that's another story. But you know everything has been done over the years to subdued uh, subdue and suppress black rights and votes and and freedom and and. There has been you know we yes it's going to take a long time and that's why I say you know. We're either they've either got to be convinced or convince themselves that God created us all equal, or they've just got to understand that the Constitution means what it says. But as I said, that depends on who we elect. If you elect a mayor who's a bigot, you're going to get a police chief who's a bigot who's not going to give a, a rat, you know, what about what the police officers do to make an arrest and and. If we if we don't elect the right people as governor, we're going to get a bad prison commissioner and bad guards, and we're going to have problems in prisons. So, it, even though our constitution seemingly provides equal rights, in as a practical matter, we don't get it. We don't get those equal rights, and we don't get the protection. We don't get justice. So again, you know, it 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 falls to us as citizens, as voters. I, you know, I know this sounds um, a bit like Pollyanna, but you know, we I, I I do believe that we can change things. That change can come. That it's going to take a while. It comes after long and hard work, but. If we find candidates in whom we believe and trust and get them elected and hold them to their commitments after their election to make sure they're true to their promises, we can change things. One of the things, let me give you an example to anyone who's, anyone who's listening. When I became Attorney General of Alabama, there were three blacks who worked in the office, as I recall. There was, I know we had one lawyer, and, and I think maybe a paralegal, maybe it was another lawyer, and then we had a guy that cleaned up at night. Well, I, I, uh, the, the the lawyer was was Milt Belcher, and I I promoted him to the highest ranking lawyer in the in the attorney general's office, and I made him in charge of all new hires and all promotions of everybody. And by the time I left, three and a half years later, four years later, the we had 28% African-Americans in the office. So it, if you want change, appoint people who want change. Or if you want change, elect people who really want change. 
uh, and it will happen. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. On the economic side of all, of everything that has gone on, crime normally manifests in areas where there's no, um, or people feel that there's no hope. Uh, We've seen looting, we've seen some really, you know, battlefield-looking scenarios in the aftermath. Um, Instead of imprisoning many people, there there are really not enough um, employment opportunities for people to better themselves, to um, move forward. Uh, People say, oh, just get a job and just do whatever. Um, I'm sure that's been the case throughout the decades. Opportunities for minorities, opportunities for uh, people to lift themselves out of a particular situation um, rather than building a whole lot of jails. What do you think on that? Well, I'm, I think I'm, I'm understanding the question, and, and, and that is, you know, how do you how do you deal with systemic racism that pervades our our education, our economic system, uh, healthcare, and our communities and criminal justice? And and you know, and here I here I go again. But when it's it depends on who we elect, uh, you know. I, I proposed free college education for every child in Alabama because I believed and believed that every child, regardless of where they're born or to whom or the color of their skin, the economic status of their parents, or whether they're immigrants or citizens, that every child should be able to reach their God-given potential through education, equal education. And I wanted every child to get a head start. So I proposed early childhood learning, free free early childhood learning for, for every child, daycare with, with computers and teachers so that you know, parents could drop their kids off in the morning and pick them up in the afternoon, knowing that they were safe and knowing that they were learning and that those children, every child would be prepared to uh, make it through every level of school, and I wanted every child to have a guarantee of free college education or higher education. If you graduated from college, high school, if you just stayed in school and stayed out of trouble and made your grades, you'd be able to get you know, job training to work at an automobile plant or an aerospace facility, or you could go on to be an engineer. If you're, the, more you, the, the more you learn, the more you, you earn, they say. You know, the better your education, the better your chance of getting a good job. And we know that that learning, early learning particularly, has a tremendous impact on how a, how a kid ends up, whether they end up, you know, with a good job and a good family and a stable marriage, or they end up as a welfare, uh, uh, you know, uh, being on the welfare of the state. So it it just education makes sense on the, you know, but. So we educate people and we create new and better jobs, higher minimum wage, new ways to use renewable energy so we can combat the climate crisis. We create opportunities for people to use their education to, to, to earn a decent living, to prepare for their families so that their children have a, a better life and, and hope for a better future. And we live in the richest country in the freaking world. 
There is no reason why anyone should go to bed home, hungry, homeless, or without health care. Health care should be a, a right that is guaranteed to every American. We've got, he's, got to, he's got to tackle this issue of the disparity in income. And when 1% has 50%, I'm sorry, when, when three families have 50% of the wealth, or 1% one, 1 has 92% of the wealth, and when they're large corporations that pay no taxes, billionaires that pay nothing, um, you know something is wrong. So we've got to fix that. The, this myth, there's a myth that these, these, these uh, welfare mothers or the immigrants are the ones that are dragging these, the middle-class taxpayers down because you know, the working families are paying their taxes. Uh, and so the, 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 the 1% want everybody to think that it's the poor that is causing the working families to pay an inordinate amount of taxes. No. The reason why working families pay so much in taxes is because the rich aren't paying their fair share. So, you know, if we're going to fix systemic racism, the President of the United States has got to tackle those important issues. And you're mentioning welfare mothers. They're people uh, with disabilities who are degreed at the wazoo. And, uh, you know, some of the states, of the 50 states, and you know one, <laughs> is below 50, negative 50, and even hiring people who have health care disparities. And that could mean from birth or that can mean acquired. You know, um, that you know, you're talking about uh, people who aren't making a livable wage, or people who've been told, "Well, you should be just happy; you can have any job." Meanwhile, they're not making a living wage <laughs> at all. You know, right. <laughs> you you right. just should be happy and and shut up. I was talking with um, several people on the economic side of this, and they were saying, um, and, "And this person has prosthetics uh, for legs and arms." And um, he said it's usually first uh, hired, or if you're hired, you're the first fired. Uh, that issue needs to be tackled. Uh, when prisoners get out of, of jail, there should be work opportunities for them so they have a better chance of not winding back into the system. Um, yeah, there's they, a lot of things yeah. to tackle. There's a lot of things to tackle. And whoever is president, because we've had people on the show on you know from both parties, uh, those are some things that have been brought up by Republicans as well as Democrats, as well as people who aren't either, <laughs> you know, uh, in terms of, of the economic side of things. I was wondering, sure. though, and we have the Gen Z, you know, I'm a, I'm a millennial, uh, who are actually looking at things far different than the majority of people who are in office right now. Let's get real. <laughs> you know, that, those are the people who are in the streets, um, mostly, um, internationally, all over the place. They're looking at things far with far different eyes because many of them, even with college degrees, won't be able to get a decent paying job. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Many of these jobs are not coming back or being downsized. Or many people who are working right now, and in, 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 you were talking about economics now, they've been hired at not full-time what they were working for three or four months ago. 
they may be lucky to have something part-time. Um, people lose uh, hope when they don't have the opportunities and when stuff like this actually happens to them. What do you see? I mean, we're right in the middle of a pandemic. I'm sure you thought you'd never see anything like this happen uh, to any of us. We've, we've heard of pandemics. We Now we're facing this, and economically, um, America is kind of reeling. Well, um, there are two things I want to comment. I want to comment, hopefully I'll remember, on the on what we need to do to fix prisons so that people, uh, when they come out, have a, a shot at uh, actually making something out of themselves and, and having a job and, and staying out of prison. But the with the with in regard to the pandemic and what is, has impacted our economy and how we're going to come out of this, I think... Um, you know, we we need a uh, a, a government-funded program to fund necessary jobs that need to be done to uh, both help the country economically and to help the citizens. Uh, both economically and 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 psychologically uh get get through this but we right. need to create we need to create uh, after school jobs for uh beginning in the 8th and ninth grade i think to get young give young people a chance to have an opportunity to work after school to earn a little money to to so they begin to understand uh you know some basic things about you know the, that they can take care of themselves and they can work and they can earn some money, uh, but we, we're going to have to be very creative. This isn't going to be you know totally like the FDR programs, uh, you know where we're going to you know build roads. But we can do we can build roads. We can build light rail. We can do uh, we can do you know uh, renewable energy uh, waste treatment uh, plants, and we can do all kinds of things that need to be done uh, and have the government basically be the employer. Uh, but we're going to have to step in and step in quickly. And that was one of the things that I regretted in 2008 uh, when we were coming out of the, the last crisis was that there wasn't an effort to really to put people to work. And, uh, you know, we bailed out the banks and we bailed out uh, – other other companies as we're doing now, but you know we've got to focus on on people and putting people to work. Yes, and with this uh, pandemic, uh, you mentioned healthcare. Uh, healthcare costs a lot. I mean, and many people who uh, were against the Obama bill or the Affordable Care Act, which really that's the name of the bill, uh, they. Uh, especially if they're poor, they're seeing that, you know, they don't have anything to help them with any of these costs. Even getting a test, you know, you you have to have the health care to do that. Some areas say, hey, you can get a, a COVID test for free, but in most cases you can't. Um, do you see, think that uh, attitudes really will change now? People were demonizing the Affordable Care Act. It, the Affordable Care Act was for issues just like what we're seeing right now. 
Yeah, the, the Affordable Care Act was um, was a step. Um, it wasn't the answer, and we've got to now. We've got to come back, and we've got to provide the 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 answer. Um, but you know, every 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 person in this country should be covered by health care. And uh, it doesn't have to, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a wizard on figuring all this stuff out. But you right. know, clearly, clearly, uh, clearly, people who who cannot afford health care deserve health care, and they they shouldn't be required to, uh, you know, to pay for it. So we've got to, we've got to come up with a. If it's not Medicaid for all, it's got to be something like that, um, and it and it may make exceptions for, you know, the the people who want to buy their own insurance and and you know have their own private, you know, systems. I I really don't care. I just want to make sure that every person in this country has access to health care. I had a question that I wanted to, and and several people had this question when we first had a pandemic. Many places who that were rural um, didn't have internet access or anything up to code to deal with um, the whole stay-at-home order. Uh, that's economics, right there. If you have access to the internet, uh, you can create. You are educated. I mean, you don't necessarily have to go to a library, etc. What do you think? It, worldwide, I mean, it, we, we, it seems like we're behind the times when we should be farther ahead. But this is all about economics and economic growth for anybody, whether it's uh, the prison uh, uh, population or people coming out, being able to educate themselves, self-educate, and make themselves better. That is just common to have Internet access, basic access to these resources so you can improve your life. Um, well, let, let, let me tell you. Let me tell you something about federal prison. Um, I was there for five years, and we didn't have access to the internet. Um, you know, of course, they don't want they don't want inmates to have access to pornography. Okay, well, you can take care of that. You know, but we didn't have access to the Library of Congress. We didn't have access to the 400 schools in the country that have free online uh, college courses. You could, not, you could not sign up as a federal inmate for any free online courses of any kind. All they had was a little trailer with a bunch of self-help books. And I'll tell you this one story. I was going walking toward the trailer on this little narrow sidewalk, and this elderly... Uh, African-American black man, friend of mine, uh, Mr. Williams, was coming down the other way, and he said, Governor, he said, look what they gave me. And he pulls this stack of books from under his arms, and he says, they know I can't read. Mm. That's, that's the federal prison system, and there is no attempt to teach people life skills, job skills, reading skills, math skills, you know, you've got to, ha I, I realize that prison is not the place where we should deal with this, but it is society's last best chance to provide these young men or old men with an opportunity 
to stay out of prison when they get out of prison. If we if we provided uh, life skills, you know, there's a there's a, a, a uh, recently was interviewed by a, a David Rothenberg. He's got a program in New York, uh, uh, and it, it's he he is the founder of something called the Fortune Society, and on their website they have a, a, a show a photograph of this young man, man a young man of color a young black man learning how to tie a tie um you know we don't we don't teach life skills in prison we don't we don't teach you know the the things that you need to know in order to prepare yourself to stay out of prison and there is no human resource officer at the prison who is looking ahead, who knows the inmate, knows their skills, know their knows their their job training skills that they hopefully would have gotten if they had any, but they don't. But if they had job training skills, they would know what they were qualified to do. And that human resources officer should be looking in that person's community to help locate job opportunities for that inmate before they get out of prison. But there is no effort like that being made. And what, what you know, it, this problem is so easy to solve. I mentioned at the, at the first part of this program, if you want to change things, appoint people to positions who want to change. So, prayerfully, with your book coming out next week, StealingOurDemocracy.com, people can go there and find out more about you and your book. We can um, be the beginning of a permanent change in some of these areas. Um, yeah, I cover most of this in my book, and, um, and and you know because it's what I've it's the life that I've I lived, and it is what I I believe to be true, and it is uh, I propose a way to to fix some of the things, including systemic racism, and particularly uh, balancing the scales of justice so that the family members of people like George Floyd uh, get justice. And it just so happens that, you know, it's a sad confluence of events, but, you know, uh, Mr. Floyd's inexcusable death um, hopefully will be the catalyst for the kinds of changes that we need to Fix systemic racism, and that's in you know again in education, the economy, healthcare, criminal justice, uh, and the list goes on.